Hello and welcome to Venturing in Climate, a podcast which aims to shine a light on the entrepreneurs and investors tackling climate change, hosted by me, Henry Hamilton, an early stage climate tech investor. Today, we are joined by Johan Duplessis, the founder and CEO of Tepio, a VC-backed producer of zero emission boilers for homes, which are a direct replacement for your oil and gas boiler. Welcome, Johan. Great to have you here. And I'm really keen to kick things off by asking, who are you and what does Tepio actually do? You'll be much better explaining than I am. Congrats on getting the name right as well, because that's, uh, that's a bit of a rarity. So yeah, my name is Johan. I, I, I'm the founder and CEO of Tepio. We started Tepio about four years ago. And uh, really before that, I mean, I'm an engineer, fundamentally. <laughs> Originally, I trained as an engineer back in the day, started my career in oil and gas, moved into management consulting. But really, I've always been drawn to energy as you know, the single biggest, in my, in my view, the single biggest challenge facing humanity really is how we decarbonize the way we live and so ended up actually working at Ovo as the head of smart heat whereas really to tackling this this challenge of how do we decarbonize domestic heating in the UK in particular and I suppose that combined with it with with the rest of my sort of my background led me to really come up with with the product that we now have today at Tepio so so we've founded it in, in yeah, the middle of 2018 and we've spent the last four years building it so Tepio we have a product we call a Z. It's a zero emission boiler. Effectively, what it is, is technically you'd call it a dry core thermal storage boiler. Well, that's far too boring a term. A heat battery <laughs> is, is what some people call it as well. But effectively, what this is, is it's a, it's a plug and play boiler replacement. So you can rip out your existing gas or oil boiler, put this in its place, and it will give you the same heating that you experience from your existing boiler. Big difference is there's no flu, there's no burning of fossil fuels in your home. We're using electricity. But it's also not just yep. an electric boiler. This this product stores 40 kilowatt hours of very high density thermal and, and doing so and allows us fundamentally to decouple the consumption of electricity from the consumption or demand for heat in your home. And that fund is fundamental to, to really helping to solve the underlying challenge of how we move from a world of consuming fossil fuels, which are kind of there on demand and can be burned at any point, to a world where we're reliant on renewable electricity, renewable generation, which is a little bit dependent on exactly when, when we get sun and wind and, and those sort of things. Yeah. And, and Johan, what percentage of carbon emissions in this country come from heating homes? About 20% of carbon emissions are associated with heating. So about 30% of all the energy we use in the UK is actually in our homes. And in our homes, about 80% of the energy that we use is for space and water heating. So it's a huge mm. part of, of that footprint. And actually, in your daily life, the biggest footprint you have is your heating. You know, many people think yeah. it's their car. Actually, for most people, it's their heating system. And, you know, your boiler just sits in, on the wall in the corner somewhere and chuffs away <laughs> keeps you warm throughout the winter you're um, basically the, the you're the tesla of the of the car world or the well, the ferrari so of boilers you. you know everyone should stop focusing on the next ferrari they want to have in the future but actually the zep right well you don't but that, that, yes that's that's what we are you know aspiring to be you know in my view well, it makes a bigger difference to emissions well, exactly. You know, well, heating's been it's been the elephant in the room for so long. Part of the reason for that is that it's a very difficult challenge to solve, but it's also not helped by the fact that it's not particularly sexy. I mean, when's the last time you ever told you told your, your friend which boiler you bought? You know, 
to <laughs> and, I should and, and, and make yes, my boiler. Big... <laughs> well, okay, there we go. You're probably just about aware that it burns gas, hopefully. But yeah, but yeah you probably um... don't even know the make, and you don't know you don't know much about it at all. But yeah, I don't think we'll necessarily get there in the same way that people think about. But we need to get the conversation going because actually, mm. the, the change is going to be driven largely by consumers wanting to make these changes. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, joke aside, the the level of emissions from domestic heating is massive and i think this conversation needs to i'm glad we're talking because this is not a conversation that is, is, is often had i haven't heard of many talks about heating so we need to bring it into the open and and get to it so i, I would love to start like getting into it by just asking a bit more about the genesis of tapio like you've obviously been working in, in the related space for quite some time so you know very proficient here so what was the sort of spark moment that you were like right let's do it i mean Let's, let's set this up. Well, uh, it took a while. We would, but over what we were doing, we were putting smart controls onto storage heaters. So there are still there are sort of six million storage heaters around the UK in, in people's homes. And, and, and actually what we we're doing, we were using a technology a company called VCharge, which over had acquired, which is effectively a VPP, virtual power plant technology, and using storage heaters a bit like batteries, because they're just the same as batteries, except actually they're a lot cheaper and they don't degrade and they're actually pretty good at storing energy. And, but, but the thing that really kind of, the thing that really captured my interest is the energy transition is, you know, how, how we're going to move from this world with centralized generation to decentralized renewables. Um, and all the challenges of, you know, with the, the grid physics that come along with that. And I was really, that's what really what sort of got me into this area of thinking, well, wouldn't it be really cool if we had loads of batteries effectively in people's homes that we could link up and use to, to provide real-time grid balancing services and to support this grid infrastructure and support renewable generation. So, so then I, I sort of thought, well, okay, we've got storage heaters. They're okay, but actually they're a bit, they've got a pretty bad rep, but you know, they weren't really designed for consumers. There are a lot of things we could do to make them better, but also the big problem with them is that they only work for people who have direct electric heating in their homes. And mm. 90, 90 odd percent of us have, have wet central heating systems, radiators or underfloor heating. So what if we can combine yeah. that concept, but in a central heating system? And I just started doing it i just started you know, drawing it out like doing some of the the basic engineering to to calculate like what could that look like could, could you do it could you get it in something that you know it was of a size that consumers could would accept and have in their homes and uh, and i convinced myself that it could work and you know i, I had an initial <laughs> sketch of i literally had it like you know some hand sketches of, of how this thing would look uh all the thermodynamics calculations just with my sort of I had to dig out the old engineering textbooks literally from yeah. you know, 10 years prior when I was, when I was studying this stuff <laughs> and stupidly convinced myself it would work. And then I then started socializing the idea with a couple of people that I trusted and was introduced to a guy called Chris Carver, who is a, you know, um, a great guy, but was pretty of a genius when it comes to thermodynamics. And, and it so happened that he was kind of interested in a new venture. So he basically joined me in day one. He's effectively a co-founder, but you know, if I could convince him and he understands thermodynamics properly, that it could work, then I was pretty sure it could happen. And then the next thing was just plucking up the courage <laughs> to make the jump, which, Absolutely. which is a hell of a thing, actually. Mm. It's, it's a really big, it's a really big step to take. But I think there I was helped by stuff I'd done previously in my, in my life and I'd gone on this a cycling trip like four years before, which I think without a doubt contributed to the, to my ability to kind of pull the plug on things and, and try something new. So. 
an unsaid cycling trip for the listeners. I'm aware that it was from, I think, was it Korea to London? Is that right? I, I actually went around the world from London back to London, basically, avoiding the sea oh, bits. Oh, right. So I started in London, yeah. Well, I fin- finished in Miami. You started in London. Like, um, south, south, South Beach of Miami. Yeah. Okay, just, that is huge. Yeah. What mileage are we um, talking here? It's about 24,000 kilometres. So, wow, that is a huge, yeah, it was, huge uh, cycle. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it is it is a huge it is a huge cycle and you know it, but the only way i could do it and there's a parallel here with starting a business is that the only way i can i approach these sort of big challenges is to not think about the big cycle is to think about the mm. bits that i can do and so actually you know i took that big cycle and actually i, I know that you know on a, on a weekend if i go for a you know a ride out out in the chilterns you know i might do 50 miles or something or i could i could do 100 miles on a big day and actually if you just take 23,000 kilometers and divide that in chunks you sort of say well actually yeah it's just lots of individual rides isn't it so you know what's the problem yeah absolutely you know it's just like selling a few zebs and then selling hundreds of thousands of zebs and uh, and so so obviously it's a huge moment for you to to start this and obviously required a lot of courage as you said but you know what is the you know some of the most challenging like have you found that experience of being an entrepreneur from what you thought it might be yeah i don't know it's hard to remember what you thought it was going to be because you obviously now Mm. sort of you've got the actual experience to to change what you now think it is (laughs) i think i had a high degree of naivety some of that was genuine naivety some of that was enforced naivety because i couldn't quite handle thinking about you know, all of the challenges that would be ahead. And I think if you know too much, then there are a lot of things in life you probably wouldn't do because you, cause, yeah, they're too overwhelming. Yeah. I think, I think quite how extreme the highs and lows are was a real mm. surprise to me. I mean, I knew that it would be, I sort of thought, yeah, you're going to take this leap and then you're going to start it. And it, you know, once you've taken the leap, actually that's the big, that's the big move. And then it'll be, kind of difficult but fine but actually it's it's in those first particularly the first couple of years you know it's literally every every other day is an extreme high or extreme low of you know oh this is amazing we're going to change the world and then the next day you come up against something and you just think this might be it and actually we just we just got to pack it in and over time those those sort of highs and lows do stretch out hugely and and actually they become less high and less low to, to where we are today where it's a lot more stable yeah. So yeah, I think that was kind of unexpected. But but look, there are so many challenges. There are so many challenges with, with with starting a business. I I was I was very aware that moving into a space which you were trying to disrupt a market which is it hasn't changed for decades. There is a mm. way that heating products are sold in this country. There's a perception of heating products. There's a lot of regulation. You know, very complex areas around you know efficiency, building regulations, and and things that you have to navigate. There's changes in the energy market which are happening. Need to happen to to support these types of technologies. So yeah, there are all sorts of big challenges, and yeah. So I think <laughs> mm. new, 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 most of them were, were going to happen, but but I think when you come up against them, it's it's different. It becomes real. Yeah, that makes sense. And what are the you mentioned to me before, like the compartmentalizing that you do to try and overcome certain obstacles and keep certain things at level. Like, how do you is is that something like? Can you give me an example, like how you? compartmentalize stuff or just how you how you've learned to do that because i think some people are better than others mm. I, yeah i do think and you know, 
my wife and I talked a lot about this before I started. In fact, I started the business about a month before we got married. So <laughs> which I'm very <laughs> grateful to her that she 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 still said yes. But we spoke about this lot a lot in the early days, well before I started. Of everyone says when you become an entrepreneur and you start a business, it takes over your life. You're going to work seven days a week. You're not going to be able to do anything else, and you know it's going to be really stressful. And what I said to her is like, I, I, those things can be true, but I think it depends on how you approach your life and, and yeah, how, how you're able to separate parts of your life. I think I'm quite, I've been quite lucky that for whatever reason, I am able to shut things off temporarily. And I think genuinely de-stress and forget about them. Um, mm. And I think that's essential if you want to found a business or found multiple businesses because otherwise it's going to eat you up. And, and I, don't know, my, I don't know if it's textbook technique, but I, I think that my, the main way I do that is I say to myself, if I come up against a problem or if I have a whole bunch of problems and it's, you know, it's a Friday evening and, you know, I just need to spend the Saturday with my kids and my family and I have all these things flowing around in my head that I can't get rid of. I say to myself, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> and I sort of just repeat <laughs> that to myself and just say, look, I don't care. Compartmentalize that. That's a problem for another day. You know, you're not going to solve yep. that today. So what's the point? Stop worrying about mm -hmm. it. And if you can actually internalize that and which, which I genuinely think I do, then, then it's a way of, it's a way of giving your body and your mind a break to recover, mm -hmm. which, yeah, I find very helpful. Um, and obviously you, I know you mentioned Chris earlier, but you're pretty much a sole founder, right? How, how's that been like as a sole founder? Mm. You, you probably now have a management team in place, but that must be quite tough, right? It is. It is. Yeah. I mean, th there's a lot of, because you feel all of the, all of the strain. I mean, you know, I had people even early on in the team that I could talk to, but it's different when it, 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 it is different when you're a founder and you're not taking a salary and you're, you, people start looking to you in the business for, you know, you've got to keep this thing running. I had some advisors, probably not enough. And I think actually that's one thing I, re I regret probably is trying to find more mentors and things early on. If you're going to be a co-founder that you could talk to regularly, but I did have a few good, good people around me who, who actually became shareholders themselves, which was very helpful. And I definitely couldn't have done it without them, particularly because I was a co-founder. And then you get to the point where you start hiring a management team that, that provides some of that support and, and sort of sounding board that you need. Yeah, and then you get you know, investors and bigger investors and VCs. You put directors on your board to, and then you have to talk to, but <laughs> but are all super <laughs> uh, in, in a very different way. What's one of the what's one of the best moments that you've you've had as as a founder of, of, of Tepio? One of those amazing moments is, is when when someone says that they're going to give you some money, and particularly when you know it was great having, having <laughs> friends and family invest early, but to an extent, you know, they invest in you because they know you and they, they think you've got a chance and they give you a shot. When a, when a institutional investor who has a, a large pot of money that they can give to any, any startups that they think are, are worth investing in and they have their LPs to answer to and you go through this process and they say, no, we think what you're doing is awesome and actually you've got a really good team and we think you're going you're gonna to succeed. Um, and we raised three million pounds last summer. You know, that is an amazing moment. That kind of, you, you still have tons really at the start of the journey still but you know to have to have got to that point that was a huge huge milestone and 
uh, definitely a champagne moment. Glad to hear it. Fantastic. Let's let's get into the energy system change that you mentioned earlier. You've talked about we need to move from centralized centralization to decentralization, but what does that really mean? Like, can you break that down for me a bit? Yeah, sure. So it's I think yeah, it's been talked a lot uh, about uh, about a lot more more recently, and so you know many of your listeners probably be repeating things they already know. But for for those who don't, I mean. We yeah we have an energy system that is today still largely dependent on centralized generation, a few bits of renewables, and then end users using energy whenever they want. And we have to match exactly how much we're generating with how much people use in real time on all time scales. So that means that Grid has to have a view of next winter, how much energy people are going to use and broadly kind of make sure they've lined up enough generation. But even down to the you know, sub-second scale, we need to be making sure that we're then flexing that generation to meet exactly how much energy we need as people so that when you flick your kettle on, there are, there are electrons coming into that kettle. So the real challenge is as we move to renewables, we lose that control. You know, the wind blows when it does and the sun's going to shine uh, hopefully lots, but and on sunny days like today, lots, but but not all the time. And so the, the real challenge is how do we move to a flexible system of generation but still have energy when we need it and, and not expect people to change their behaviors. And the only solution for that is flexibility. The only way we can really do that, we can reduce the overall amount we use, but fundamentally, you've got to have some flexibility between when it's generated and how you use it. And that flexibility can sit in lots of different places all along that sort of chain of, you know, from the point of generation to the point of use. Some people are going for grid scale storage, you know, lots of grid scale batteries being installed. We think actually that that will play a big part, but also that there's a real opportunity for installing lots of flexibility at the ends of the network, at the extent, at the extent of the network, which means in people's home. It's a great place to put it. It also works really well if you're putting, if you have local renewables, you've got solar on your roof and or local wind farm. Having that flexibility is really important. And so, so really that's been our approach. And, and what a ZEB does is it at very low cost, very reliably can soak up excess renewables. It can use energy at the cheapest times of day and, and, and really make the most of, of those fluctuations in generation. Hopefully that kind of gives you, gives you, it gives you a sense of, of, I think some of the, yeah, that does. I really want to sort of get into the nitty gritty of how we're getting towards net, net zero 2050 obviously moving to a decentralized system is quite difficult and takes time and investment how how well are we doing do you think at moving to uh, moving the system away from centralization to being able to meet energy demands of this country and all its people through lower and no emitting system and what do you think needs to sort of change Doing. I mean, we're doing okay. I mean, lots of people will tell you we're, we're leading the world in, in many ways. We have got, you know, quite high renewable penetration in this country, you know, double what they've got in the US, about 20%. But we're not, we're not moving fast enough, in my opinion. And there are lots of reasons for that. We need to have market changes. You know, the energy markets are still, there's a lot of intent, good intent. And I think yeah. you know, government clearly understands where we they know what we need, where we need to get to, and they have good intentions, and there are great people there, you know, in in government and and looking at policy changes. But it's very difficult because there is so much legislation and, and policy that actually needs to change. And and one of the things is that we're not, you know, we're not 
today really valuing flexibility properly. And if we really want to drive a, a low cost of system, you know, of this system, of this change to the system, we need to we need to make sure that the that we have proper price signals and that we're valuing the way different things and technologies are, are complementing and supporting the system. So you know, th there there are loads of changes like that that need to happen. I think that you know, people generally don't, as a whole, don't fully understand how big a change how much change needs to happen and you know, how quickly so i think uh, there's i think hopefully there's going to be more urgency in the coming years uh, we are going to see more effects of climate change yeah, every year and and hopefully uh, the penny drops but if you look on it you know, globally it's the needle is hasn't even budged you yeah. know we're still increasing carbon emissions year on year so you know big challenge so, so really, you think that policy needs to change, and the way we 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 manage the grid to increase flexibility, and is that is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think it's both. Look, look, consumers can be can be really powerful voices. You know, if you look at what's happened in the EV markets, you know, it, it's taken time, but suddenly there feels like there's this tidal wave of enthusiasm for for EVs. Some of that has been driven even in the last few months because of the huge hike in petrol prices. So, you know. Some of that is consumer driven, but the, maybe the last push actually comes from you know, pricing. Mm. And, you know, unfortunately, it is very expensive at the moment as, as a fuel. But, but maybe and it's a difficult conversation to have because you know, with the cost of living crisis, you know, it's, it, it is it is a, it is a very difficult time for people and it's going to get harder. Yeah. But it can also I think from my perspective, it can also become a an opportunity for us to properly value energy you know i think i think we take energy what well, we do we take energy for granted and we don't yeah really no one really thinks about the enormous amount of engineering and, and work that's gone to getting those electrons to your house and you know into your kettle we don't we take it for granted and actually the pricing in my opinion still doesn't doesn't factor in all the externalities that come you know that are associated with it you know the 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 carbon impact of the energy we use is still not reflected in when in the energy that we use mm. in, the, in the price yeah. we use. and the balance is still wrong between gas and electricity and the, the government is committed to rebalancing that at last mm. but for decades we've been basically subsidizing people to use gas and and putting some of that the cost onto electricity for for the changes that need to happen to the system which is obviously driving the wrong behaviors so anyway yeah yeah no, interesting. <laughs> no no that was interesting thank you thank you for that and obviously, you've mentioned the, the cost of living, living in energy security and, and all of this. How do you, it's obviously a really, this is a hard question, but obviously that we've got this, you know, situation where energy has become a lot more expensive for, for everyone. And at the same time, we're trying to push towards this renewable system and that take that costs money and taxpayer money, et cetera, as well. So how do you see us navigating this, this, this period? which could be quite hard going forward. Look, it, it, it's, it's difficult. I mean, you know, the government's now proposing to basically put cash back into people's pockets this next winter to help a little bit. I actually, I, you know, I think it's, they have to do something, but I, personally, I think it's a shame that we're basically giving people money back to spend more on energy. Actually, what we should be doing, in my opinion, is helping people to, to consume less. And so, you know, that money should be going into energy efficiency measures to, to help people using less energy or, or you know, in, in, in other ways. I think that a silver lining to all of this is that one of the things that 
has become increasingly apparent recently is that we still have an energy market in the UK where the, the gas price effectively sets the electricity price because the marginal generators we have are, are gas generators. Yeah. And so what has recently come to light is that the government is finally going to prioritise some of that market reform that's needed to, to de-link the two because it's crazy that, you know, electricity prices have gone up huge amounts, but actually a lot of our electricity comes from renewables. So actually the, the you know, and they are now making a lot of money. Yeah. But if we delink those two, this could actually become a pivotal moment where we can actually reflect the true price of gas and electricity. And that is going to that is going to close the gap between the two. And that mm. is going to mean that more people will move towards electrification. And that will actually be a positive thing for the future. So I'm hopeful of that. That that will take a little bit of time. And I suppose, you know. There are, there are clearly clearly big challenges in the next the next twelve months are going to be going to be very difficult. Yeah, no. Well, thanks for unpacking that. That's an interesting take on it. I think it sounds like yeah, this is a very big moment. And obviously, with the wider climate targets that we're trying to hit, we need to take these moments and, and look at it more widely. And maybe, as you say, the delinking is is a could be a critical aspect. So thank you for sharing that. Be good to know, like, what, what's what's next for Tapio? You obviously you've raised, you know, a great round last summer, and what what's next? Where are you hoping to get to in the, in the near future? Yeah, well, we're growing. You know, it's it's been it's been a crazy last twelve months since we since we raised the last the last funding round. We've gone from I think we had twelve people last summer. We're now twenty eight as of next week. Yeah, we're hiring. So yeah, if you if you know anyone, we're basically hiring you know, across the business in all sorts of different roles. There you are, listeners. Get in touch. So, with you, man. Yeah, so, <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, I'm looking at our website. We're still fleshing out some, some of the job descriptions, but we are we're hiring. We are we launched the product in December. So we are now selling them yep. and we're building out our installer network because we you know, started locally around Wokingham. We, we now have about a dozen installers. So we're covering most of the Southeast of scaling up production, bringing out a new version of the product, which is going to be even better. We're working on a combi version. So at the moment, the product is a, is a regular boiler really designed to work with. It provides your central heating and it will heat your hot water tank, but it does require a hot water tank. So many people have combi boilers, particularly in smaller homes. So trialing that this winter and hopefully we'll have that. To, to market for next winter Grow, growing the team growing the routes to market we'll be building uh, sort of hopefully working on some some exciting channel partnerships that we can we can announce in the next 12 months amazing so there's no there's no lack of stuff going on yeah um, i know do you, do you, you know, i think yeah, i think the, not really i've got two two kids under 18 months so um, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah not 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 a huge amount but enough um, yeah yeah um, so yeah, no, there's 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 a huge amount going on. I think we, you know, my, part of part of what I'm trying to achieve also in the next eighteen months is that we're we're in a really pivotal role in um, the debate with government and 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 policymakers and also sort of I suppose with broader society about like how are we going to tackle heating decarbonisation, and and so one of the things is to make sure and it is happening now that you know our type of product thermal compact thermal storage is increasingly included in the conversation as and it will become a mainstream solution for decarbonizing your, your heating system so that you know heat pumps are a brilliant technology and you know i always say this to people you know, just because we're doing something different heat pumps are awesome get one if you if you can and if you can afford it they're quite expensive but definitely get get those in, in, as installed mm. if we can as many of them as we can but we need something else and so the real goal is over the next 24 24 months or so that 
Zebs and compact thermal storage solutions, which can which can help us so much with this problem, become a central part of the of the discussion. So, and obviously we'll be selling a lot more. So, you know, we're getting a huge amount of interest from customers, which is exciting to see. Really good feedback from them. You know, actually, Fantastic. The, probably our biggest challenge at the moment is we can't produce fast enough. So okay, we are interesting. On scaling up production. Yeah. Well, very exciting times for Tepio and you and yeah, you've got a lot on your plate and two small children. So that's just, just shows you, right? How how much a founder does, how very inspiring. I was wondering what made you do such a long cycle ride? Madness. Madness. Well, <laughs> I was working in Korea I was working in a shipyard actually in Korea at the time for for BP and I decided I wanted to get out of the industry and move to sort of cleaner energy, clean energy space. And I actually just was just fed up one day. I enjoyed my job, but I just thought actually, I was cycling to work. And I thought, what if I just turn the other way and cycle back home? And I, I started sort of laughing to myself about it. But then actually, I thought, no, wait a second, How, is that actually even possible? And I googled it. And then I thought, well, actually, what's the <laughs> point of just doing cycling career back to London? If you're going to do that, you might as well try and go around the whole world. So that's that was my thought process. I don't know if it's logical or not, but that's what. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And and my other my other question my other question was what advice do you have to people who are working in corporates and and, and other companies and have a real desire to, to start something or to work in 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 this climate space and and maybe not set up their own thing just want to get get involved and help in this climate climate mission what advice do you have to them about making that that leap? Well, I think if if you've got any if you've got any desire to start your own business then I can't recommend it enough because you won't regret it. Because even if you fail, you'll have learned a hell of a lot. Just even if it just lasts for six months, you'll have learned a hell of a lot. So, so I would say that I'd say also, if you want to get into the clean tech space or the, you know, the climate related sustainability space more generally, I, I get really frustrated when I look around at other companies in this space that sort of say, Oh, you have to have had you know, 10 years sustainability or, you know, sort of clean tech or climate experience. We need so many people working in this space to solve all the challenges that we need to, that you can't, you can't find people who've all had the experience because there aren't enough of them. So actually we yeah. need to bring other people in who just have the desire and the passion. So I would say, show some passion through the things you do in your own personal life to decarbonize your own life. And then try and distill the things that the skills and the things that you do in your corporate life and try and work out what, what, what does it really boil down to and how can those be applied to a role in any business and particularly potentially one in the climate space, because we, we need good people. Fantastic. That's great advice. Maybe we'll move to the quick fire round as we, as we begin to wrap up slightly. So we've got a few questions. I'll give you a, you know, take 30 seconds or so, but first up biggest mistake founders make. Johan, go. Okay. Well, I've, I make lots of mistakes and I think I haven't made my biggest mistake yet, probably. <laughs> so I don't necessarily know what it's <laughs> going to be. But I, uh, one of the mistakes I think I can continue to make is thinking that it's going to get easier or quieter. Or, or, or like, you know, you look ahead and you think, actually, it's just crazy right now. But I can see, you know, in a month's time, we're going to have a bit of breathing room and I'll be able to get on top of things. Never happens. So don't think it will. <laughs> that's a good one i like that i don't, I don't, um, I don't know if that's a good one but uh, yeah. it won't get easier guys <laughs> that, is, that is real it won't get any easier exactly. <laughs> brilliant second up another climate tech startup that you're really excited about uh, there are lots there are lots of cool ones i mean i, I really like granular energy they're quite new 
I know some of the guys who, who started it. What they're doing basically is a bit, of a bit of a tangent, but today if you have a renewable energy tariff, it's not actually renewable energy. You know, basically the company's buying some certificates that are for that cover renewable generation that occurred sometime in the last year. It's not actually mm-hmm. when you use it. And I think what, what what they're working on is, you know, we need to move to a system where we can actually have track when renewables were generated and then ultimately if you want a renewable tariff your supplier has to match those certificates to when you've actually used that energy and that will really drive that will really drive the change that we need so i think you know they're very they're very early stage but i think it's quite a cool cool idea sounds super cool i have to have a look how do you keep up with relevant sort of energy news climate news etc how, how are you so well informed i don't know if i am but i, I read things like current news I, I quite like that one or energy storage news the ft and, and then like <laughs> through our trade associations are actually quite good as well actually we we started thermal storage uk in december tom there provides us with you know, regular updates on what's happening in the industry um beamer as well quite good with that so uh, yeah trade associations and just industry websites and, and then talking to other people who are in the space so I'm also actually technicians be quite good for that as well. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that one before. Actually, it's, it's brilliant. You've mentioned a bit around hiring, but is there anything else that you would like help with that one of our listeners, investors, entrepreneurs themselves, whoever they may be, might be able to help with? Uh, oh, let's say well, say loads of things. You, well, we need people. Yes, yeah, so recruiting. We're just kicking off another funding round. Most of the the we're raising most of my raising is probably coming from existing investors but we will have space for another one or maybe two larger investors customers if you're interested sign up on our website but also even if you're not interested just start thinking more about how you hit your home you know we need to just have more we need to have these discussions talk about how we're going to how we're going to challenge solve this challenge educate yourself about your heating system how your power system works a little bit you know how do you get hot water to your taps do you have a whole water tank you know so look at it it's actually really interesting (laughs) it's a lot more interesting than people think so i completely agree you've you've illuminated how crucial it is to tackle heating but also you know it's uh, it could be pretty cool if you've got a zero emission boiler so i'm looking forward to hearing uh, how it grows yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely great yeah and how can people get hold of you if they want to get in touch probably the easiest is is hello at tepio.com drop us an email it will find its way through to me if, if, if there's a specific request but otherwise i've got a great team now dealing with all of the customer inquiries that we've got coming in and that's probably the best way otherwise i'm on linkedin sometimes but i also i don't know how much how people time find so much time for social media i i'm not on it as much as i probably should be at times but uh, yeah i'm on linkedin so fantastic thank you very much it's been a really interesting episode i've loved hearing a bit more about heating and getting that getting that conversation into the light so thank you and great to hear about what you're doing with zero emission boilers i think they're going to be something that we'll be talking about a lot more amongst uh, everyone so well done on what you've achieved so far looking forward to seeing what comes next and uh, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast thanks lovely being here